Three, two, one. I'm Dr. Orion Taraban, and this is PsychAx Better Living Through Psychology. And the topic of today's short talk is how to deal with haters. So as soon as you make the decision to stand up and stop hiding and to show the world who you are and what you believe, you will start to cast a shadow. One of the costs associated with becoming somebody is that you will attract opposition. This is because in this world of duality, everything under the sun has an antithetical element. No matter how good and right and correct you believe yourself to be, there will be people who disagree with you. And depending on their own level of awareness, these people may attempt to criticize, denounce, ostracize, and destroy you. And the brightest lights throughout history have often been fringed with the most profound darknesses. So if you dare to stand up, you will cast a shadow. It's unavoidable. And once you do, you will attract haters. Haters are people who are loudly negative with respect to who they think you are and to what they believe you believe. Now, I say it like this because in my own experience, haters almost never carry an accurate conceptualization in their minds of your arguments and beliefs. These conceptualizations are typically warped straw man substitutes for your actual beliefs maintained through selective attention to evidence that supports their distortion and selective inattention to evidence that disconfirms it. They rarely possess a measured and comprehensive understanding of your position. And they also seem very personally invested in proving that you're wrong. Generally, this is because your very existence as someone who has stood up is itself the shadow of someone who has remained in hiding. You represent parts of themselves that, for whatever reason, they have not allowed themselves to accept and integrate. These parts are denied, disavowed, and projected into others. Haters then try to purify themselves by purging the world of the darkness they have projected into others. Of course, this never works, and it creates an incomprehensible amount of unnecessary suffering. But this is why it happens. There's a quote from David Goggins that bears repeating here. You will never meet a hater doing better than you. Yep, that's right. And to understand why that's right, we have to understand that hater is actually something of a misnomer. Hating isn't so much about hate as it is about envy. And envy is a really complicated and insidious emotion. To experience envy, a person must perceive a deficit relative to a perceived self-relevant good with respect to a perceived equal. That was complicated, so I'll say it again. To experience envy, a person must perceive a deficit with respect to a perceived self-relevant good relative to a perceived equal. There's a lot of perception going on here, which kind of makes sense because envy is really in how you choose to look at things. And you need all of those elements to kindle this emotion. There's a lot to unpack here, but the component I want to draw your attention to here is the final bit. Envy can only exist relative to a perceived equal. You take away that part and you don't have envy anymore. You have 
admiration. But if you believe that a perceived equal, someone who you believe really shouldn't be doing all that much better than you, has much more of something you want than you do, especially if that something is related to your identity, you're going to feel envy. Now, you can control what you do with that feeling, but on some level, you won't be able to not experience it if all the conditions are met. The greater the perceived equality, the easier it is for envy to fluoresce. And this is why, this is going to be tough, but it's true. This is why your biggest hater is someone that you know, someone who is probably very close to you. Because of the perceived equality criterion, the greatest potential for envy always exists among peer-aged friends and siblings. Envy is why Cain killed Abel. If Abel weren't Cain's brother, God's preference, the self-relevant good, for Abel's sacrifice wouldn't have hurt quite so much. After all, Abel was just Cain's brother and just Cain's little brother at that. So there was nothing in Cain's conceptualization of Abel to justify God's preference. Envy is more prevalent in families and among peers because in those circles, you're not only just a friend or just a brother or just a spouse, but you're just my friend and just my brother or just my spouse. You're not special. You're potentially just someone who exists relative to me. As Jesus said, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Envy is the reason why. Now, before I go any further, if you're liking what you're hearing, please consider sending this episode to someone who might benefit from its message, because it's word-of-mouth referrals like this that really help to make the channel grow. And you can also hit the super thanks button. It's the three little dots in the lower right-hand corner. And tip me in proportion to the value you feel you've received from this message. Your support is what makes all of this happen. I couldn't do it without you. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. Now, this quote from Jesus also suggests that the same prophet might be honored outside of these circles. The good that you do is generally recognized by people outside of your immediate family and friend group where that recognition will not be experienced as personally threatening, as a narcissistic injury. And this is why your biggest fan is probably someone you haven't met yet and why you should take the risk to stand up so that these people can recognize you from afar. Be huge in Japan as the saying goes, because the last place in the world that may celebrate what good you bring is where you came from. The tragedy here is that just because when people start to stand up, they are not recognized and supported, or even that they are chastised and censured by the 10 or 20 people closest to them, these people believe that there's nothing particularly special about them, or that they don't have anything of value to give. And that may not be true. It may be that their value may be ignored or discounted because it is threatening to the other people's egocentrism or their vanity. For this reason, I strongly recommend setting your sights outside the little circles you entered by accident, the accident of birth, 
the accident of being assigned the same homeroom, the accident of working two desks down. Put your value out into the world and attract the people who really resonate with what you're about. That's your real community, the people who resonate on the same frequency as you. And in my experience, this only happens to be the people immediately surrounding you by some sheer miracle. So what's the best way to deal with haters? In general, the best response to haters is no response. This is because engagement, whether it's defending your position or debating your criticism or their criticism or responding in kind, is generally reinforcing. It's like with children, for whom negative attention is better than no attention at all. And some children will act up and get into trouble because they prefer that to being ignored. So the best response is no response. On the other hand, if you are somehow required to respond, the second best response is a non-reinforcing response. This is as close to a truly neutral response as you can muster. No expression, no emotion. A non-reinforcing response suggests that there is nothing in the hater's communication that made enough sense to even perceive it as a communication requiring a response. It's almost like the hater made sounds that I couldn't quite make out his words. So I can't really respond one way or the other. It kind of doesn't accept that communication even occurred. Like I discussed in a previous episode, we transform an object into a weapon when we communicate that we've been hurt by its application. We communi by communicating a non-reinforcing response, you disarm the hater. By responding in a way that expresses that no harm was experienced, most haters won't try that tactic again, as it was apparently unable to achieve the desired result. So that's how you deal with haters. And if you've recognized envy in yourself and would like to divest yourself of that emotion, great. Check out my episode on how to dismantle envy. That might be helpful to you. What do you think? Does this fit with your own experience? Let me know in the comments below. And if you've gotten this far, you might as well like this episode and subscribe to this channel. You may also consider becoming a channel member with perks like priority review of comments or booking a paid consultation. As always, thank you for listening.